Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. This conversation is with Chris Butcher Coles, a lovely man who surprised me by telling me that he was only the second male nurse in Queensland when he joined the nursing branch there. And it came out off the backdrop of many years of, I guess, family challenges and school issues and a lot of low self-worth as a child, something that many of us have experienced. And he continued to better himself and he came out of that. You know, he had things that pulled him along and helped him to get through the challenges of his early years. And what I loved hearing about him is that it it just, no matter what he did and what he has done, his mindset and his ability to cope with the challenges has enabled him to take the next step. He's a lover of martial arts. He's, he ran a martial arts school in Sydney and loves helping others. And he continues to support people today who were victims and he wants to help them to become survivors. It's a really inspirational story and I'm really grateful to Chris for sharing this with me and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, here we are. It is another episode and I'm here with Chris Butcher-Coles. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm going very well. It's a Friday here and I'm feeling very good. That's great to hear. I feel good as well. Fridays are always good days, aren't they? Yep, they sure are, especially if you've got a few good things planned on the weekend. Well, before we kick off, I just want to thank you for joining me and being willing to share your story. I always like to honour the guests as they come in and just let you know that it's a it's an honour, a privilege, and I know it's not easy to share your story. Uh, it's it's a, it's a gift to the world and to people that listen to you. So thank you for, for being here and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me and thank you to Ian as well. You're welcome. Well, this is about you and uh, Chris, so I'm going to hand the mic over to you and uh, figuratively, of course, and ask <laughs> to take us back to the beginning of your story. Tell us, you know, where were you? Where does it start? Well, my story really starts right from the beginning. I was born up in Brisbane. Um, I'm a Queensland boy, uh, born in the mid-50s, um, uh, which creates a certain dynamic straight away. Um, big family, five kids, and being the last one of the five um, and being the person, the personality I am, I was um, uh, what you might call a little bit difficult as a child. I was quite sickly. Um, I was born with some medical issues that brought me into hospital in and out for years and years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess that sort of gave me some sense of isolation. Uh, went to a public school, uh, which I was great. I was in the top 10% of students at public school. But we had a tendency to have teachers that were very violent. And my mother decided to send me to a private school. 
with the hope that the private school would be uh, absolutely different than what it was. And, and yes, it was different. Um, uh, it was an all-boys school with about 1,400 boys uh, that I had never experienced before. Um, and uh, in that, uh, you know, bullying and, uh, you know, uh, bastardization as they call it, and all the rest was fairly prevalent. Um, but with all that said, um, my story really starts uh, somewhere around about eight years old. I can't be too specific on the on the age group. I've tried, but I can't. Uh, I was predated by a uh, pedophile who was a neighbour, and uh, at that very young age, I, you know, honestly, I didn't really know what was going on, and um, not that I could see any, couldn't see any harm in it. Um, but it, it wasn't, you know, uh, painful or any of those sorts of things. And it kind of left my mind, um, to be honest with you. And uh, when I was at the um, uh, private school, a Catholic school, uh, they were concerned about uh, relationships, you know, between um, this was in my teens, you know, so it had sort of grown through here. There's a lot of bullying at school, you know, I did boxing, started all this sort of stuff. but. Um, so in the teens, uh, one of the brothers sat down and talked about, you know, the sin of relationships between, uh, men and how bad that would be. And through that conversation, I learned, um, that I was a sinner, uh, that what had happened to me, right, made me, you know, that person that they're looking for, if that kind of makes sense, you know, that was a revelation to me. And, and I got to say that, uh, you know, um, my heart sort of dropped and all the confidences that I kind of seemed to have uh, left me quite a bit. I even thought about becoming, you know, I didn't know how to how to reclaim not being a city, you know. I thought about becoming a priest because that was always on the cards at, at a Catholic school and I would have made a terrible priest. I've got to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't go down that path at all. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's sort of the beginning of things. Um, and it stuck in me. Um, my self-worth was reasonably low, you know, and I just didn't know my place in the order of things. And in my sort of family, you didn't talk about anything, let alone emotions. Um, and to say that, uh, you know, I could, that these sort of things happened to me as a kid would have been something you just wouldn't ever do. I did finish school, but, you know, as a student, I was a guy looking out the window. I was wanting to be somewhere else. You know, my top 10% went to bottom 10% uh, pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I did take up boxing at school. Uh, I did that really as a sort of a self-protection uh, factor uh, in the bullying sort of scars. And, you know, you sort of, with a low self-esteem, I wavered into being a bully. And uh, that didn't really help me, you know. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. It was something that I really wanted to do. Uh, I was very good at school at zoology and, and most of the sciences um, that were related to animals and things, you know. Um, so I went to my dad <laughs> when I was about 14 and said, you know, I'd like to be a doctor. Well, that was kind of the wrong thing to say. Uh, my dad was first-generation Australian from an English parent. They were all blue-collar workers, or my brothers, basically blue-collar workers. And here I was standing in front of my father wanting to become a doctor. Um, 
uh, he essentially said, you know, no son of mine will be becoming a doctor. Um, you know, it's going to cost me money. You know, back then getting a scholarship was, was quite a hard thing. Um, and uh, I don't think he would have understood what the scholarship factors were and all the rest of those types of things, and I don't think I could have um, counted on any support of any kind. So I sort of dropped that idea. When I uh, left school, I became a nurse. Now, there's a the thing, all right? Now, this is um, 1972. I became a nurse in Queensland. Now, we did have a couple of male nurses, um, and they came up from Melbourne. But in Queensland, a male going into nursing, well, there was um, 57 girls in my class uh, and two guys. And uh, the other chap, uh, he was gay. Um, I wasn't. Um, and uh, I've got to say it was an experience that no one should miss. I, I'm possibly the second male in Queensland to start nursing. And here I was, a young male in a woman's world. Oof, you know, you'll hear the latter part of my story. But, um, you know, I've got to say to you that this was an education for me that was valuable right through my lifetime. If I wanted to know what uh, sexist behaviour was, if I wanted to know what exclusion was, all right, I was learning it every single day by simply being a male in a female's world. I didn't last. There's no doubts about that. Um, uh, I lasted about a year and a half, and I went to the matron and said, uh, well, actually, I, I got upset one day at one of the senior nurses, and uh, I was sent to the matron, and it was uh, this particular matron that uh, suggested that I should do nursing. I'll go back a little bit and just say that I went and told my father that I joined nursing. Uh, I was a ripe old age of 17 years of age. And I uh, said, I'm going to become a nurse. And my dad looked at me and he he really stumbled in his brain. I could see it going, a nurse. He says, what are you, a pufta? And I thought, wow, okay. No, I wasn't. And I'm in a class of 57 girls. I don't know if I should break that news to him. But, you know, it was quite a revelation in that period of my life. And when I went and saw the matron, she said, Chris, Nursing's perhaps not for you, or maybe nursing's not ready for you yet, one or the other. And uh, suggested I go into operating theatres, uh, which I did. Uh, I went out to a cardiothoracic hospital and uh, worked in operating theatres there. Um, I became a theatre assistant, uh, and then eventually I was trained down in Melbourne as an anaesthetic technician. Um, it set me on a bit of a course, to be honest with you. I started to realise some things about myself um, and, you know, I went into sales because a, a nice man came to the operating theatre one day and banged on the wall and said, uh, we've heard good things about you, Chris, I'd like you to come and work for our company and offered me about eight or $10,000 more than I was getting paid plus a company car and I said, yay, um, yeah, I'll do that. So I stepped out of that role and went into uh, medical representing and um, I really took that quite serious. My background is anaesthetics, um, so I was a trained uh, anaesthetic technician by then. Uh, but this company wasn't anaesthetic, it was surgical. And I did slowly work my way through different and various medical roles um, over the years. And uh, 
I've got to say that that was uh, quite a powerful thing. All right. Now, I got married, uh, as you do over that period of time. Um, and my wife is a good woman and a nurse as well, which, you know, tends to happen if you're in that trade. And, uh, eventually I had a daughter and I'll kind of reflect back on that one, um, a bit, you know, um, I honestly was still the self-worth thing. And what happened to me as a child, uh, it affected me. Uh, So, not being a particularly good father, that relationship didn't go well. At the age of uh, 19, I found martial arts, kung fu, to be specific. And uh, I kind of loved it, to be honest with you. My cousin walked in and said, Chris, you're sitting around the house, you're getting fat, you did boxing, you didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll take you to my Kung Fu class and see whether you like it or not. And I loved it. And uh, he left after about three years, and I continued doing martial arts for 45 years. Um, essentially, martial arts taught me a structure and a kind of self-esteem that I didn't think that I could get. Sorry, I'm still there. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> and uh, when I first started, I, I don't think I've ever worked that hard in my life. Uh, you know, uh, bloody knuckles and, you know, sore backs and bruises and all the rest of those things. But within the structure of martial arts, I found a, a system of leadership. And I never realized that because it kind of put me on a path, um, that I required sort of like mentorship. I needed, um, someone, they didn't have to be male, but they seemed to be predominantly male, um, that would help me work myself through a structure and um i learned to be a good student a great, a great student i learned to be a uh, an average sort of leader um and uh then i found that leadership was something that i adored absolutely adored uh it became a subject for me you know um if there was a uh, university course back in those days on communication and leadership i would have been walking in the door to do it as an age student. But there wasn't. We had to sort of find our stuff ourselves and find the courses and other bits and pieces. And, you know, that martial arts, I, I did it everywhere. I, uh, you know, I moved to New Zealand for three years. I did martial arts over there and I taught over there. And then I came back to Sydney and I had a little school for a little while and I was still doing a medical job. Um, I was using my skill as an anaesthetic technician. Um, uh, which was good and working for Australia's only anesthetic machine manufacturer. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. And, and, you know, after a breakup of marriage and all the rest of it, I found a beautiful wife, um, you know, who is Jody and we've been together now for 31 years. And, you know, we are, you know, very close and very, and she's been very powerful for me. Again, uh, another nurse. What can I say? Uh, but JD is, is a spectacular and has kept me on the straight and narrow. And, um, look, when I started martial arts here, I didn't know where my life was going to go. I think I still had a lot of confusion as to what I really wanted to do. So about, um, 30 odd years ago now, I started a little martial arts school. 
right, in Sydney, just a teeny one, right? And it had about five students and then it kind of grew to 10 and then it got bigger and uh, we went to a church hall and then it got bigger and uh, then I uh, decided to open up a full-time centre in Sanity. I gave up a six-figure job in um, 2000. My wife, uh, we had to sit down and have a very long chat about this, um, but a six-figure job to open up a full-time martial arts school. Uh, with my um, backgrounds, uh, that I had the leadership background and all the rest of it, uh, I designed a martial arts school from the ground up. Our particular style doesn't have a lot of um, support internationally. So basically what I had to do was to get do it myself, if that makes sense. From year 2000 to 2012, I built a martial arts school from probably 60 full-time uh, students to uh, around about 160 or so in a very small little premises. Um, we had a lot of kids and we had a lot of parents and I designed all the leadership programs and all the rest of it. So, you know, if I kind of go back a little bit, and say, you know, this was good for me, this was powerful for me. Um, but also a lot of the things that I started to learn about um, myself when I was doing nursing and all the help buttons that I had and all the rest of that, it kind of got me on a different track, not just a martial arts track, but also the helping people side. Um, you know, I was a victim to another person. I figured with the skills that I had that I could actually help other people. And it wasn't just in a martial arts world. It was also outside of that. So I started to do programs, um, self-defense, personal safety-based programs for women at risk. Um, the first place I walked into, the first shelter I walked into, they threw me out because I was a male and of course, you know, I wouldn't have the, you know, the sensitivity or the understanding or all the rest of that because I was a male. And, you know, they had no real idea of what my background was. And I certainly wasn't going to tell them where it came from because I still wasn't quite there yet. My story, um, I didn't really want to let that out until very recently, you know, in the last two years, to be frank with you. Um, but yeah, as it all turned out, I did have the sensitivity and the understanding, right, of this particular, um, survivor of whatever the crime was, you know? So I started to approach different areas and I started to expand out this idea of helping other people. We kind of got to a point where a few things happened together. Number one, my little martial arts girl, I walked out of that and, and went, and got a very big martial arts school. And, um, you know, I had 160 or something students by then, and they rattled around inside the 700-square-metre premises. But within the next period of, uh, let's say, six years, all right, or so, we grew to 500-odd students. And in those six years, um, I started to form a company called Stay Safe Australia and, and um, Sydney Self-Defence Centre first and Stay Safe Australia. And our role was to go out to schools, do preventative training, right? I was particularly interested in domestic violence because my family, 
you know, my father was a gaslighter from way back and, and uh, coercive control that was within that age group, you know. It was back in the 50s and, you know, it, it was everywhere back then. Um, it was difficult in relationships, you know, for a woman, period. Um, so I, I saw a lot of that within my own family. And um, so I structured a whole program, a series of programs for kids in schools, all right, um, for women at risk in domestic um, uh, violence, um, uh, for corporate, uh, for people facing harassment and sexual harassment in the corporate sphere, frontline staff dealing with very difficult people. I did this for, um, you know, for that period of time. And, and um, in uh, 2020, we had a thing called a pandemic. Um, I've got to say to you that that was the most destructive period of my life. Before that, we were training 25,000 people a year in our workshops. Um, and uh, the pandemic, um, boom, gone. Uh, literally, we had no business. Um, uh, I should have bought the premises. You know, I can always look in hindsight because I might have survived it. But to be honest with you, with no students and, and no income of any kind and bills coming through the roof because we had a massive place, um, I really had to shut the doors. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsukiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. And uh, I did shut the doors. I let 26 staff go. Um, it was the most disturbing period um, because there was nothing. Took a couple of odd jobs here and there doing marketing and other bits and pieces. I couldn't even deliver Stay Safe. Um, people were phoning me up saying, you know, what was happening during the pandemic and, you know, everybody who's at risk is at more risk. And, um, you know, domestic violence was fairly rife, to be honest with you, and not reported. The very first thing that I did when we could was restart Stay Safe again. And uh, that was the thing that, that I just really wanted to do. I didn't want to do the martial arts school anymore. I, you know, dealing with, um, you know, parents and people and hundreds, it's like running a small school, a real school, uh, with the amount of data and information that we had to to go through on a daily basis and training and leadership training and everything else. So um, to start up um, something, the thing I wanted to start up was the thing that I love most, which is um, seeing people who've been made victim of become survivors and then literally watch their lives grow. So there you go. That's kind of the overview of my life. <laughs> What do you think? I think you're a brave, brave, courageous, um, and truly inspirational guy, Chris. Wow. 
Thank you. I've got a few questions, if that's okay. I thought you might. <laughs> so going back to school, when you had that chat with the um, chaplain that, that talked about. No, the way it happened was we had a class. And that was in a class, the class yeah. Yeah, the brother was talking about, yeah, homosexuality and, and, uh, you know, we don't want all the, all you guys to be doing any of this and all the rest and how big a sin it was. You're going to go to hell. And I'm sitting in the class going, Oh no. Um, mm. Mm. you know, it, it, it all came into me, if that makes sense, you know. And when you went through that shock, you know, when you internalized all of that and then that forced the self worth to plummet. Did anybody mm. outside of you, friends, teachers, family, did anyone notice? No, in the in my class there was about um, back in those days about fifty five or sixty kids. No one noticed, and and um, uh, family. Uh, as I said, I was the youngest. Uh, the nearest to me was five years. Um, they didn't notice much. Uh, I got to tell you. Um, so you know, they're teenagers by the time. You know, I was eight years old, they're teenagers, you know, and, and when I was at school and when this happened, I was a young teen. So they had their own issues, you know, and others. And, um, I did try to approach the person who did this to me and I knew where he worked and all the rest. So I went there. Um, and, uh, I've got to say to you, I've never seen such a cold person in my life. And he, he shunned me and would not return anything any calls or anything so i was kind of left on uh, on my own to handle this one mm. what was your hope for that that exchange that communication didn't know really i just uh, wanted to know why i think more than anything um you know i didn't really rationalize before that um because it'd gone away you know it, it happens it goes away and it didn't come back again until it was in that classroom. So I didn't know quite what I was expecting, but one of the big questions I had, which I think a lot of people who have been, um, you know, made victims of another person asked why, why, you know, why would you do this? You know, and it's a question I've learned over time from every person I'm, I'm working with or lecturing or doing workshops with. Is that why question comes out? Yeah, why would they want to do that to me? You know, why me? Has there been a time on your journey where you felt that you've overcome it? Was there ever a moment that you had that sense of, oh, I'm, I'm healed or I'm clear of that, my self worth's back or you know what I mean? Any of that? Look, uh, self worth's a funny thing. It kind of it's like a you know roller. It depends on what's happening to you. So, for example, you know, the divorce, boom, back down there again. You know, the pandemic, you know, boom, back down there again. And, and you do have that. And I always say to people that, um, you know, something bad that's happened to you, just relate to it like it's a, a cut. And every once in a while, you know, you can, you can look at the cut because you've still got a scar, you know, and every once in a while you will revisit that scar whether it's on a positive point or whether it's going to be on a negative point. And, yeah, on the positive days, I look at the scar and go, man. And on a negative day, I look at the scar and go, oh, damn. <laughs> you know, it's 
uh, it just is what it is. And, and I will never say that anyone who's been through something that is life changing can honestly say that, you know, they can ride above it. Sure. But can they actually make it go away or in their head or, you know, it, I'd say, I'm really sorry, but I'd say no. It is always going to be there. So, you know, my comment would be, are you going to grow from that or are you going to let it destroy you? And uh, I think over my years I've managed to grow from that and I think that's important. I really love the way you've, you've put that in that, yeah, you can't ever wipe it clean. It, it can't disappear. It's part of us. It's no. part of the journey. You've obviously had a number of interesting things along your journey that have added to your experience, like you, like you explained. Love, love the, the way that our lives go on like this checkerboard, right? And we jump from one square to a different colored square and we go over here and there. Do you look back and say, wow, you know, I look at the check, you know, the steps and the jumps I've made and mm. it's all been a perfect journey to get me to here, which is linked back to my eight year old experience. I can, I can see the thread all the way through, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, look, you know, one of the greatest things that I can say over my life is that I've helped a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I, I think I started that way, you know, I was kind of like that as a kid. Um, if something fell out of a lady's bag, I would pick it up and say, there you go. And she'd say, thank you. You know, I've, I've always been kind of that person. And I've had an opportunity, even though I've popped from one spot to another and different jobs and different things, I've always had that that sort of help mentality where I believe that I can make a difference. And uh, I think that's been the greatest um, builder for me over the years is every time that I've done something or turned another page, um, it always seems to be to help people to get from where they are to another place, a better place. It's, it's uh, wonderful when you've got that ability to sit there and see the thread and be then grateful for all the experiences. Even if we remember them with emotion and we cry, and like you say, some days you know we look at our scars negatively or in a not-so-positive mindset, but it's all been for a reason and it's made you who you are today. And that can only be a wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's I've had a support structure. I mean, my wife is marvellous. Um, and, uh, you know, that really is uh, such an important thing. Um, I don't know if I would have been so positive in the last 30-odd years uh, without her support. Um, you know, I've stumbled a lot. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an idea. You know, we opened a new martial arts school. I had to sell her car to put a bond down. Um, on the, on the building. And, um, you know, she said, okay. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, cars like hers are now worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But anyway, we put it down as a bomb. And, um, uh, you know, within four months or five months, we were discussing this the other night. The, um, uh, we had a fire in our building. We just set everything up. We put our money into, getting other things, and we had a fire in the building. Now, we didn't get burnt. Uh, we had water damage and smoke damage, and we had to wait for the building to be rebuilt. So suddenly from going professional, we were already back to being a 
uh, you know, a non-professional school in a school down the road until our stuff got done months and months and stuff later. You know, it is, it's, it's like this, you know, and we looked at each other and said, did we just make another mistake? I don't know if we made a mistake. Maybe we made a mistake. Um, but, uh, you know, the students wrote it out and so did we and back again, you know, it's, um, it, it's a journey. Um, and the journey, I don't know. I, I've always been fairly destination oriented more than anything else, you know. Uh, there's some things I want to achieve before I, I die. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of proves to me that all of this stuff before the, before I die is the journey. And, um, if that's what it takes to get me where I am, then that's what it took. Yeah. And for those that are listening to the audio, when Chris said, when this stuff happens, he was motioning with his hands, showing the waves of the ups and downs, basically the ups and downs of our life. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that between now and whatever, you know, I've just had two knees replaced together. I'm an idiot. Uh, but, uh, you know, not one, one year and one the next, but together. And, uh, you know, that's got this effect as well. Um, and, uh, now they're pretty good and I can almost feel like I can get back to kicking things again, which would be very nice. Um, uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and, uh, it's filling me with more hope that I've got a few more years left in me to do what I do. Wonderful. I've got a couple more questions for you, Chris. Um, at what point did you realize that your purpose was to actually help people stay safe and deal with the situations, you know, that you found yourself in when you were young? The Wayside Chapel phoned me up. It was one of my very early clients and said, um, we have some women here, right, who um, essentially are uh, um, prostitutes and, and they are getting beaten up a lot. And um, uh, can you come and help them and talk to them? And uh, I said, um, sure, uh, absolutely. So uh, we ran a, a six-week, one-hour-per-night type program uh, or per week, one night, one hour per week for six weeks for these girls. Fantastic group of people. Educated me, all right, in so much, right, of the female condition. Not that, you know, forgetting about what they did. That's what they did for a living. But, you know, that was a time that I started to realise that I think I can help people. I think I can help almost anyone who might be at risk and, and take away any of the mystique of, what people do for a living or whether they're rich or whether they're poor or whether they're young or whether they're old, we I have the skills to do that. We had a fantastic course, great outcomes. I love it. I love hearing mm. these little moments in the journey, the the, 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 mo- the rich moments that colour mm. the, the, the canvas. Yeah, I'll never forget that program. It was the best mm. program, best. And we did it for free. I didn't even earn a dollar for it, you know. Wow. So the reality of it is that the, you know, we were doing this, um, uh, because we were asked to do it, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Did you have a period of your journey where you had to go through your own healing process? And if so, did you have someone to help facilitate that healing? Through my life, I found that when I was in a trough, 
I did stupid things. Um, you know, uh, when I was younger, twenties, uh, you know, drinking, um, you name it, um, fighting, uh, gambling, uh, you name it. When I'm in a trough, stupid things. And that trough followed me, uh, and stupid things followed me for quite a while in my life. And, uh, the most stabilizing force for that was my wife, Jodie. So when I started to do something stupid, she would go, hang on a minute. Is that something you really need to do? And I guess, you know, this stuff that I was doing turned more into that, right? And that was the stabilizing force. That was the thing um, that started me realizing uh, how destructive I could actually be upon myself. And, you know, I still do stupid things. So I'm male, you know, I, I still do stupid things. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that stabilizing force is there. And if I, it really is stupid. Um, I do have someone that will tap me on the shoulder <laughs> and say, you're better than this. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> you know, you're very, you're very blessed. <laughs> yeah, I am actually. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, truly, if anybody asks me anything about, uh, you know, what has been a stabilizing force in my life, I will easily say it's my wife. Has there been any point on the journey where you felt that you couldn't get back from the trough? Oh, yeah, I think the pandemic um, was a cracker for me. Um, we were at the height. We, we were right there. We We could not have been... Better, bigger, more popular. I mean, um, you know, White Ribbon Ambassador, I was kind of everything that I wanted to be and I was heading in the direction of everything. And then we, in the first uh, six weeks, we did everything that we were told to do and, you know, uh, and, um, uh, you know, we, we, people had to wear masks and we washed hands and we did this four meters and we did this and we did that and, and then, um, eventually, regardless, bang, everything's gone. And then when the uh, C said, um, uh, we're sending a letter out to your um, membership collection company or tuition collection company that uh, they have to ask all your members whether they want to stay or go, and 500 turned into 70. And, uh, you know, it was terrible. We couldn't train outside. We couldn't train inside. We couldn't do anything. Literally, I had to kick the doors shut, and uh, that wasn't my um, uh, retirement plan. <laughs> so, you know, we were left with nothing. And yet you're here, you're back. And yet I'm here with new knees, yeah. yes. New knees and a smile <laughs> on your face. <laughs> uh, look, you know, one of the things I can say about having a roller coaster life and particularly a bad beginning it is basically that, is that you know that there's something better just over the hill. you just got to make it to the top of the hill. And, uh, you know, essentially I've learned that lesson as time has gone on. It's really lovely to hear that because you've mm. obviously been through a lot, you've learned, and I think for me one of the clear things that I've gotten from this conversation is the acceptance that the scar doesn't disappear, there'll be you know, ups and downs, it's part of the journey mm. and it's important to just keep focusing on, you know, and trusting that you will come out of a trough 
Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And, and you know, you do need uh, support structure. Um, yeah. The good news is, you know, a lot of the, the my key students, um, we still talk, we still train. Um, I still do some qigong and, and other very calming and relaxing things. Um, you know, all of these things have conspired to, um, you know, float good to the top um, and allow yourself to lay back a little on the bad and say, okay, well, these things happen. Um, you know, what are you going to do now? Uh, that's kind of the feeling that you have, you know. Um, so I take counsel with the people that are around me and see what their thoughts are. Uh, their support and, uh, uh, you know, I'm still looking for a mentor. I, I always will be looking for a mentor. Uh, I have currently probably as I look around, um, four or five, um, people around me that I class as being my mentors or people that I look up to. And I find that, that having that mentorship around you kind of pulls you up as well. Because people doing good things or people who are highly successful, who are with you and around you, um, they only rub off good stuff, you know? And, uh, I think that's, uh, sort of my favorite very well too. Beautiful. In summary, you've, you've given us such a beautiful story, Chris, and there's so much to sink in and process and learn from. So thank you for that. I do have a final question. It's um, okay. it's the hardest one of all. Are you ready? Oh, oh gosh. No, no. Okay. Fire away. So if there's someone listening to your story who has can resonate or is going through something similar or any of any can relate to any aspect of the story right now, what would you like to say to them? Look, where it all started, you know, whether it's good, bad or ugly, where it all started is not where it finishes. You know, it <laughs> You are not the outcome of someone else, uh, you know, whatever they've done to you. If you've become a, a, a victim to someone else, um, that's their story. Um, your story is different. It's what you do with that and how you look at that and how you equate that. And as you go along through your life, right, this beginning is either going to destroy you, right, or this beginning right, will drive you. It's really up to you, you know. So, you know, I'm going to say to you that the beginning of your life or the thing that, that um, has brought you to your knees, all right, is not you. You're that powerful thing inside of yourself that can stand back up again, right, and keep walking forward. So your beginning is not your end. It's up to you to make that end. That's beautifully put and really powerful thank you chris for sharing today for coming and spending time with me i've loved every second of this and i am really grateful and i'm sure the listeners will be extremely grateful as well thank you very much thank you we hope you've enjoyed this episode of kintsugi heroes Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below and join us next week for our next hero's story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken 
Only when you're broken Only 